Today on Awaken to Grace, we are in James chapter 1, and we are talking about why God often tests our faith. What do tests do for our life? Why does it seem that bad things often happen to good people? Well, today we're talking about how if you're going to have a testimony, you have to go through tests. And you know, my friends, the tests that God brings into our life. They are not haphazard. They are not coincidental. No, they come with a great purpose from both the hand and the heart of God. We're going to learn today how we can truly count all things as joy, just as James teaches. I'm glad you're listening to this episode of Awakened to Grace. James chapter 1, I want to entitle today, Test Equals Testimony. You cannot have a testimony without going through test. And my goal today is to take God's word and show you why you should not despise the testings of your life. I want to show you why you should embrace testing because of what God's word says it does in our life. Now, you and I have a fundamental problem. You and I often, we don't understand. We say, well, if God loved me, if God cared for me, then he would intervene and change my circumstance. Most people ask it this way. Why do bad things happen to what? Good people. Isn't that the question we all have? Why does God allow certain circumstances? Why does he so often seem to put us in positions where we face various trials? Well, friends, the Bible gives us an extremely clear answer. And today we're going to study it word for word, line upon line, Precept upon precept. James chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says that James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, there's a world of truth just packed into that one phrase. I want you to know, first of all, that word servant in the Greek is actually doulos. And it's not the idea of servant as we think of it in our English culture. See, the thing with a servant is that A servant can be hired and a servant can be fired. A servant can choose to do a great job and a servant can choose to quit at will and walk off the job. The actual Greek word doulos here is not our English concept of servant or some say bond servant. No, what the actual meaning is, is slave. And you know the difference between a servant and a slave? A servant can quit whenever it wants. A slave can't. You know, this is a great question. As we began to view the trials of our life and we evaluate the circumstances of our life, and for some of us, what seems like the hand that we've been dealt, as we begin to view this and try to make sense of this, a great question right off the bat is, what is your perception of you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a servant? That can quit anytime you want? 
Are you a servant that can be in or out based on how you feel or how the happenings of life are going? Or are you a slave to this thing? You are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no turning back. You know, that's going to go in. That, that, that is going to weigh into how you respond when the difficulties of life come heading your way. James says, I am a slave, a doulos. I am a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I appreciate that. I like how he says God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered to yourself who it is that you should pray to? Do you pray to God the Father? Do you pray to Jesus Christ? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Have you ever wondered who you address when you pray? John R. Rice famously said, when you're in the family, you talk to everyone. (laughs) And I like that. You know, there are times that I pray to God Almighty, my heavenly Father. There are times that I pray to Jesus Christ who ever lives to make intercession on my behalf. There are times I pray to the Holy Spirit who leads me and guides me and comforts me, anoints me and teaches me. I love that James says, I am a servant, I am a slave, I'm a doulos to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's his authority, but notice next, his audience. I want you to note his audience. He says, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. Who is he speaking to? If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this. He's speaking to people, to part of the 12 tribes who were in exile. In other words, friends, he's speaking to suffering saints. Now that's going to come in huge as we read the rest of this text because I want you to know he is not speaking of Christians who are affluent and that are in high income brackets with very little worldly problems. He's not speaking to Christians who are sitting in balconies overlooking the Mediterranean Sea and taking life at ease. You know who his audience is? People who are suffering. People who have very few worldly possessions. People that are barely getting by. People that have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're filled with stress and anxiety. These are people that have fled their homes. People that have left everything that is familiar to them. People that are trying to make a living in a foreign land. People who undoubtedly are plagued with questions and fears and concerns about the future. People who live in a constant state of unpredictability. This is his audience. Now, One thing that will help you as we transition and we begin to read the applications of James, we see his authority that he's a slave, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God the Father. We see his audience that he's speaking to suffering saints, but now I want to really get into his teaching and what he wants to say to these suffering saints. As we get into the application here, perhaps this will help you in your reading of the book of James. It's been well said that what the book of Proverbs is to the Old Testament, James is to the New Testament. 
The book of James is literally Proverbs to the New Testament Christian. I don't know if you're like me, but I cherish the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. There's so much wisdom in it. And you know, James is what Proverbs is to the Old Testament. James is to the New Testament. If you will read it through the lens of Proverbs to believers, it will help you to put it in a different perspective. So knowing with that, knowing the wisdom that James is about to give us, let's dive into verse 2. Remember, we're talking about tests today. Matter of fact, let's go to verse 3, and then we'll work our way back from verse 2. James says, for you know, and here is the premise of my sermon today, that you may know that the testing, what a big word that is, that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience or steadfastness. What another big word. Boy, these are huge concepts. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We're going to break all this down today. Number one, verse two, follow, follow along with me. And this is where we're really going to dive in today. If you want to take notes today, I want you to note under the application of the teaching, I want you to note this. Number one, counted all joy. Note verse two, counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Boy, there's a world of truth packed into right here. Just these few phrases. Number one, count it all joy. I've explained this many times in my pastorate because this is such special scripture to me. But I want to revisit it today and perhaps the Lord's going to give us fresh insight today. Number one, if you're going to take notes, I want you to note this. Count is an interesting word. The word count in the Greek here literally means a financial term. The Bible, when it says counted all joy, the word picture here is financially setting down and like you would calculate financial numbers to come to the sum total of them. What James is saying is God is not haphazardly doing things in your life. God is not just coincidentally allowing whatever to come in or out of your life, whether it's gain or whether it's loss. Know what James is saying to us, church? What James is saying is set down, and here's the meaning of it, calculate evaluate everything that God is allowing to come into your life. It is a financial term. Count, and then what's he say? All things. What's the Greek word for all? All. The good, the bad, the ugly. The good and the hard. The joys, the sorrows. The triumphs and the pains. You calculate it all as joy in your life because what is the all? It's those testings of your faith that is producing steadfastness. In other words, what James is doing is he's telling us what the response ought to be in our life when trials come to us. This is how you respond. Some of you are in a place today where you've done all you know how to do. 
Some of you are in a place today where you've prayed all you know to pray. You've stood all you know to stand. You've weathered. You've endured. You've been patient. You've went through it. And now you're at a place where you don't know what to do. What do you do? Let me tell you, my friend, you count it as all joy. You sit down and you consider the works of God in your life. You evaluate and you calculate them and you say, at the sum total of everything in my life, every gain and every loss, every heartache and every joy, what do I calculate it as? The joy of the Lord. Now say amen if you're with me right now. There's a principle that's going to change your life. If you'll listen closely, I calculate it. I evaluate it all. What does Romans 8, 28 say? He works. How many things? All things, good and bad. He works it all together for what? For my good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And this is why, based on that authority, knowing that God will work all things in our life together. Have you ever considered that? God's working the good and the bad. God's working your triumphs as well as your greatest mistakes. Come on now. Satan will condemn you over your greatest mistakes. But let me tell you something. So often, it's our greatest mistakes that God turns into our greatest blessings. Come on now. You got to help me preach this morning. He'll take our greatest mistakes and he'll turn them into our greatest blessings. You think God's worried? You think God is angry at you? You think God's mad over your greatest mistakes? No, 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 no. See, not only does he forgive them, he works them. (laughs) God, (laughs) come on now, you're not getting it. I can feel it. Come on. You got to help me now. God is taking our greatest mistakes. Not only does he forgive it, he works it together for our good. Amen. And here's Satan's telling you God's mad at you and God's angry at you and God's put off with you and God's abandoned. No, my friend, he'll take your greatest mistakes. He'll make them into your greatest victories. Don't you let Satan lie to you. Where am I at? I'm getting excited now. He works all things together for our good. Count it all Joy. Now, why the word joy? Why do, you, why do you suppose the Holy Spirit uses the word joy? Why do you suppose he doesn't say good or happiness? Do you know the difference between joy and happiness? See, happiness is not God's primary concern for you. Do you realize that? It's not. God wants you to be joyful. Not happy. Do you know why God is not concerned about your happiness? I can't tell you how many people enter into sin and they tell me. I can't tell you how many people through the years have told me this. Well, I just think God wants me happy. Wrong. 
you are dead wrong. Let me tell you, my little two little boys are four and two, three right now. Four and three. And we're in that time where they're really having to learn how to listen, which they do not do good at. The other day, John Mark was jumping from the dresser onto my bed. And always say, whose boy are you? He'll go, your boy. That's right. He wouldn't quit jumping. And man, I got all over him. He's three. He walked over to, the, to my bedroom door and he said, me, not your boy. And slammed the door. <laughs> Gosh, he acts like his mother. <laughs> I'm kidding. He actually acts like me. If I were primarily concerned with my four-year-old or my three, if, I, if my primary concern was their happiness, how good of a father would I be? And how good of kids would I turn out? Me, not your boy. <laughs> Do not be fooled into thinking that God simply wants you happy, friends. Oh, what a terrible way to think. No, you know what God wants for you? He wants you to be fulfilled, as we're going to see in verse 4. He wants you perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Not perfect as in sinless, perfect as in he who began a good work in you will be faithful to its completion. God wants you whole not just happy. God wants you a person of significance, a person of meaning, a person of completeness, not temporarily happy. See, Christians who chase happiness, you know what they chase? The happenings of life. And their happiness depends on if things are good or if things are bad. But do you know what the difference in joy is, my friend? See, joy is not up and it is not down. Happiness is up and down and up and down and up and down. Joy rises above it all and is consistent. Joy says, listen, circumstances can turn, but it doesn't turn my joy. (laughs) Things can go south, but that doesn't change my joy. The rug can be pulled out from under me, but my joy remains consistent. God wants you to be a man or woman of joy. And let me tell you why. The Bible reason why. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you see that? What will bring strength into your life? The joy of the Lord. And can you see why Satan wants to steal it from you? And if Satan can steal your joy, you know what he's stolen out of your life? The strength of God. And that's when you become a weak, anemic. I don't want to be weak and anemic. I want to be strong. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, let me share something with you that will change your life if you've never thought from this perspective. Many of us are waiting for joy to come. Many of us are waiting for God to give us joy. 
We're waiting on God to create or produce joy. <laughs> oh, I wish I could see your faces today. Because I just... <laughs> Listen, what does verse 3 say? For you know that the testing of your faith produces joyful attitudes? No. Produces what? Steadfastness. See, we, we get this backward. Oh, please follow me on this. What God wants to produce in us, what comes from the hand of the Lord working in our life is steadfastness, not joy. Do you know what we do with joy? We choose joy. We initiate joy. See, some of you are waiting for joy to come. No, God says if you'll sit down and you'll calculate everything that's happening in your life, if you'll evaluate it and then mark it, then make the sum total of it, the joy of the Lord, then joy will come into your life. I'm not waiting on God to give me joy. I'm choosing joy today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I choose it by faith. And you say, Chad, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, yes, you can. I'm telling you right now, if a blind man can get up out of bed and choose it, you can choose it. Amen? Amen. God wants to bring a strength into you. He wants to bring a strength into your faith. He wants to bring a stability to you, a strengthening of the Lord like you've never known. And where is it found? It's found in joy. And how do you get the joy of the Lord? By calculating. By going, well, if God's brought this into my life, then it is for this great and grand purpose. If it has passed through the throne of God and it has met his approval for me, then that means it's good for me. And I'll accept it by faith. Amen? And furthermore, I'll mark it up as joy. I remember my father-in-law buddy telling me a story one time of an older lady that he knew that trusted God for everything. Trusted the Lord in every matter. She was an older saint and trusted God. And uh, I forget all the circumstances around it, but some thugs come around her house and slashed all four of her tires. And do you know what her attitude was that buddy told me? Her attitude was, praise God, I needed new tires to even begin with, and now God's going to give them to me. <laughs> Friends, that's choosing joy. When you understand that God is in control of all things, that's when you can count all things as joy. That's when you can trust he's working all things together for your good. Amen. Amen. Choose joy today. Choose joy. I didn't ask if your circumstance is a joyful thing. That's not the point. You can have joy in the midst of the circumstance. See, a lot of times, and, and again, go back with me. This word count is absolutely massive. As Western thinkers, unfortunately, we don't think deeply often. There are too many distractions there's too many toys in our life to distract us. But see, sometimes, now, now follow my thinking here. We don't understand joy like we don't understand peace. Many of us think that peace is the absence of troubles. And we think, well, if God would bring peace into my life, then he would take all my troubles out of my life. No, friends. 
To calculate, to count, to evaluate is not, peace is not the absence of troubles. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of troubles. So it is with joy. You don't have joy when you have a happy life. You don't have joy when you have joyful circumstances. No, you have joy in the midst of all circumstances. That's what you calculate. That's what you count. That's what you evaluate. That's how you mark it as joy. Now, the next thing he says is, my brothers, I appreciate this little phrase right here. Count it all joy, my brothers. Why does he say this? Because a lost person can't do this. You realize that? I cannot say to someone who is not right with God. I cannot say to them, well, don't worry. God's going to work everything together for your good. See, the Bible doesn't say that to lost people. You know, the Bible's written to believers. And lost men and women cannot claim the promises of the Bible for their life. I can't say to someone who's not living right for God, eh, all things will work together. It's not what the Bible says. It says he'll work all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. I can't say to somebody, count it all joy. When you face various trials, not if they're not living right. This is for believers. The carnal mind cannot accept the things of God. Are you born again today? Have you fully repented of your sins? Are you blood washed today? Have you been bought by the blood of the lamb? Are you a doulos? Are you a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ today? That's who can count it as all joy. My brothers, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Oh, I like this word meet. Some translations say encounter. Now, what does this mean? Take notes if you're going to, if you want to write this down. <clears throat> the word encounter <coughs> or the word meet actually means a scheduled appointment. It means a calendar, a scheduled date. <laughs> oh, I love this. Why do I love this so much? Listen, my friends. The trials that you and I face in life are scheduled appointments by God. And do you know what that tells me? If they are scheduled appointments, it tells me that God is not haphazard with my life. Things don't come into my life and God go, oh, oh no. What are we going to do? I don't know. How do you think he'll respond? What do you think she'll do now? Let me tell you, there's a horrible doctrine called open theism. It's erroneous. It's a terrible doctrine. And what open theism suggests is that God himself does not know the future because it's dependent upon how you respond. And basically it means God's on the edge of his seat going, what will she do? What will he do? No, God declares the end 
from the beginning. God is in control of absolutely all things. God's not wondering, second-guessing. He knows the outcome. Oh, let me tell you, my friends. This tells me, for God to say, Chad, the trials of your life are scheduled calendar appointments tells me that God is not coincidental. It tells me that God is not foolish. It tells me that God is not careless. It tells me that God is not haphazard. No, God is working a brilliant plan. And you know what else it tells me? It tells me that if it is a scheduled appointment, it tells me that there is a scheduled beginning and there is a scheduled ending. Let me tell you, child of God, whatever you're facing today, there was a beginning, and I'll tell you now, there's an ending to it. So you hold on, amen? There was a start time, and hallelujah, there's an end date too, amen? You can trust God. Why? Because everything you face is scheduled by Him. Glory to God. And you know what that means? That means that if God has so scheduled it up, then guess what else is scheduled? All the grace you'll need. All the strength you need. All the answers that you need. Do you know why? Because Romans 8 Verses 30 to 37, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Paul doesn't say that you're going to survive barely, that you're going to hold on. You ever met people in life when you ask how they're doing? Well, I'm barely hanging in there. That's not what the Bible says. If you're barely holding on, then you're not doing it God's way. Well... I guess I'm making it. I knew a brother years ago. Every time I asked him, how you doing? He'd go, fair and middling. <laughs> Friends, if you're just barely holding on, you're not doing it God's way. Because what does the Bible say we are? In the Greek, more than conquerors literally means homla, Nike. Do you know that the word Nike is in the Bible? Homla. Nike, you're more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror, amen? When people ask me, Chad, how are you handling your blindness so well? Chad, how are you going through all this? No, let me tell you why. It's because I'm more than an overcomer through Christ, amen? More than an overcomer. I'm not barely making it. I'm not barely surviving. I'm not holding on for dear life. I am moving forward in the joy of the Lord. And you know what that produces in me? The strength of God, which in turn creates steadfastness. And that's why no matter what Satan tries, he can't get me to budge. Because what is? Because I know that the testing of my faith produces Steadfastness. You getting anything out of this today? Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet, that is a scheduled appointment. If there's a scheduled beginning, there's a scheduled ending. That's why you don't quit. That's why you don't give up. That's why you don't walk away. That's why you don't throw in the towel. 
You don't live defeated. You endure because there's a scheduled end. When you, when you encounter or when you meet trials, <laughs> see, that's the testing. Testing. What, what is the testing of our faith? It's trials. Now, there's a difference between temptation and trials. The Bible says in James 1, God does not tempt with sin, nor can he. What is a temptation? A temptation are things that they originate within us to cause us to fall and to cause us to stumble. They originate within us to try to trip us. They're from Satan. They see trials are from God. Trials are those outside circumstances that originate on the outside, not to cause us to stumble, but to cause us to grow. Temptations try to make you fall. Trials help you stand. See the difference? Trials are sent by God. Why? For the testing of your faith. Now, not just trials. Note what James says. Trials of various kinds. <laughs> See, right now, represented in this auditorium are many, many Many different kinds of trials. Some are relational. Some are family. Some are physical, their health. Some are mental and emotional. Some are anxieties and depressions. Friends, here's what you and I have to understand. Actually, let me, let me fine-tune what I just said. Trials are the circumstances of life. It is our response that matters. And so often, our response are things like depressions and anxieties. Let me clarify. Those are not sent by the Lord. You understand? Those are to be rebuked. Those are to be, the doors to be shut on those things. Why? Because that's the wrong response. If you suffer from depression today, if you suffer from anxieties today, listen, it may be the trials of life that have you going through something. But no, listen, what the Bible is written for is that you and I would give the right response. And what's the right response? You calculate it. You mark it as joy. And then what happens? The joy of the Lord replaces those wrong response, whether that's anger, whether that's disappointment with God, whether that's feelings of being overwhelmed, whether that's loneliness, whether that's confusion and doubt and anxiety. No matter what these responses are, the Word of God is written so that we would learn how to replace those sinful responses with a godly response. And what is the godly response? No, trials don't come to trip me. Trials come to help me. And how do they help me? The testing of my faith. And what does it produce? Steadfastness. And what is the testing of my faith? It is the trials of life. It's these outside circumstances that I don't have any control over. So what is my control? I submit under the hand of God, James 4, 6, and I resist the devil and he'll flee from me. 
Does that make sense today? The trials are various. You may be facing a financial trial today. You may be facing a physical trial. You may be facing a marital trial. You may be facing a parenting trial. You may be facing emotional trial. Whatever the trial is, listen, they're going to come in many different various kinds. So what do you do with that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It says, in so much we rejoice. What do we rejoice in? The trial itself? No, the fact that God's above the trial. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Thanks be to God our Father, who has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has given us an inheritance, incorruptible, unfading. Our inheritance is eternal. We look to those things. See, here's what this scripture, these scriptures, here's what it does. They allow us to look beyond the trial, to look beyond the circumstance, to look beyond what's happening in the moment, and to look ahead at what God has truly done in our life. Let me ask you a question today. If God can so forgive all of your sins, how in the world can He not help you through your present circumstance? If God can give you an inheritance that is eternal and so secure that it's incorruptible and never fades away, then how can you not trust God through your present circumstance? You see what an eternal perspective does? If I can trust God for all eternity, how can I not trust God for these short days, weeks, and months? Come on now. That's why Paul said we look to not what is transient, but what is too eternal. That's why Paul said these light and these momentary afflictions cannot compare to the weight of glory that awaits us. In other words, if we can trust God with eternity, we can trust God with the here and now. So we rejoice that though we're grieved, if necessary, for a little while, we are grieved, what does the Bible say, verse 6? With various trials. See, Peter echoes what James says here. Various trials. Don't be surprised when trials come into your life in various different forms. Now, what does he say? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 3. For you know. (laughs) Let's just stop right there. You ought to circle the word no. See, here's my goal for today's sermon. Do you think God's going to take care of you? Do you hope God's taking care of you? Or do you know it? See, Scripture implies here a confidence. It implies a confidence that we truly are more than overcomers. And if we're more than conquerors, then we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ, like never before. Do you trust God right now in what you're facing? Do you trust God for the outcome? Do you trust God to keep you, to preserve you, to guard you? What, what do we just quote, 1 Peter 1, 5? Who are being kept, who are being guarded by the power of God. Do you trust that God is helping you right now? That you may know confidence that the testing of your faith produces stead 
steadfastness. Now, what does steadfastness mean? This is literally what it means. It means to remain under. To remain under. The word picture is someone underneath a heavy weight holding it up for a period of time. I love that definition. You know, if going into this next year, if my goal were to strengthen my biceps, if my goal were to shape my arms and form my biceps, then what would I do? I'd put weights to them, right? I would add resistance to it. And as I added resistance to these muscles, what would happen? They'd grow. They would shape. They would look very different than they look now. (laughs) You know, the same is true for your faith. When resistance is brought to your life, when weight is brought into your life, you know what it does? It takes that measure of faith the Lord has given you, and it increases it. It grows it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what does the word of God say? The testing of our faith, which is what? The trials of life. And what kind of trials? Various kinds of trials. Produces steadfastness. Patience. It strengthens you. Now, the Bible, I, I appreciate this. You know, if you go to Galatians 5, and 23, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit produces nine precious fruits in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. Produces these wonderful things. But why do I need it to produce steadfastness? See, I appreciate this word. Why do I need that? Because what good is love and joy going to do me if I quit on the Lord? What good is gentleness and self-control if I quit? If I throw in the towel? If I lay down and give up? No. Steadfastness. Scripture says, beware lest you fall into some great sin. No. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. And see, my precious friends, that's why Satan will try to tell you, walk away from the church. Quit attending solid. You don't need it. God's not answering your prayers anyway. It's not doing you any good. Walk away from your ministry. Stop serving Stop giving of yourself. Stop giving so much time. No, my friend. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. And see, Satan will tell you what's not doing you any good. No. You know what? I could could go to the gym for a while and not physically see results for a while, right? And you know what? The same is true. I could go to Seaver's Donuts right here. Don't you love to walk out in the parking lot and smell those fresh donuts? I could go eat a cream-filled donut once a day, every day. And would you see the results? 
a week or so later? No. But later, later, I would feel the effects of them, right? Whereas I can shape up and say no to a cream-filled donut every single day and take in something good and healthy, and am I going to see the results immediately? No. But after a while, will I begin to feel its effects? And so it is with you spiritually. You may serve. You may give of your time and money. You may attend solid. You may get in the Word and grow and and begin to reach. And listen, you may not feel all of the effects immediately. But you give it time, you will. And just like if you quit, you'll feel it too. The negative. You see what I'm saying? Don't gauge right here and now. No, look ahead. All right. Now what's he say? For we know, that's the confidence, that the testing of our faith, that's 1 Peter 1.6. How does God test our faith? By fire. The, genu- the genuineness of our test, though it's tried like gold, by fire will come out pure as gold. That's 1 Peter 4, 12, 13. Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery test of your faith. Don't think some strange thing is going on. No, friends, this is what God does. Why? Because he's creating something in us. He's producing something in us. And see, here's what I love. I want those nine fruits of the Spirit, but guess what I need in addition to those nine fruits? I need steadfastness. And see, as I choose joy, God's producing. As I choose joy, God's producing. And then lastly, what does he say? And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect. See, that's why you can't quit right now. Because God's not done with you. That's why you can't give up right now. Because God's not through with you. Let it have its full effect. So I go back to verse 2. I calculate what does the full effect of steadfastness in me, what's that look like? Oh, so God wants me to walk through this fiery trial. God wants me to go through this state of unpleasantness. God wants me to be in this state of difficulty. God wants me to be in this place of trial. Why? Because he's mad at me? No, because God wants a full effect to be working in my life. God wants to produce in me what nothing of my own doing can produce in me. And that's steadfastness. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcast, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.